Welcome to the CobraCast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. you know when you may use approved electronic devices, but note that some items may not Oh, welcome to the Cobra... You're on, mate? What are you doing? We're about to record here. Oh, What's going on? Well, um, we just got back from Denver, mate. For some reason, I've just been really hungry. Uh, I can't work out why. I walked into some shop, and ever since I've walked out, I've just been wanting to eat heaps. So I'm not... Yeah, we... All right, you look a little spaced out. But anyway, yeah, so we're going to Denver. Well, we've been to Denver, whatever. Um. Oh. Would you like to know where it is? That's, oh. I, you, you said I'm spaced out. You can. Uh... Oh, I'm just getting a second-hand high here. What's <laughs> going on? Jeez, shit. Let's get, let's get it together, mate. Where, where's Denver? Denver, mate, is located in the Rocky Mountain region of the United States. It's the capital of the state of Colorado. All right, so how far away? How long? Uh, the distance from Melbourne to Denver is just over 14,000 kilometres and would take almost 20 hours to fly there if flying direct. Or leaving Denver about three hours. If uh, so, Denver covers just over four hundred square k's and has a population of just over seven hundred and twenty-seven thousand people. So, uh, no mate, Denver is the smallest city in the country with five major professional sporting teams: the Denver Broncos in the NFL, the Denver Nuggets in the NBA, the Colorado Rockies in the MLB, the Colorado Avalanche in the NHL, and in the MLS, the Colorado Rapids. Incredible. Oh, do you do you count MLS as a major sport? But anyway, um, the Honeycrisp apple is the official state food. But since 2012, I'm guessing that anything you can get your hands on is the state food of uh, Colorado because weed was legalized then. That makes sense, mate. Uh, so where, where did we go and visit while we're across there? Oh, well, we went to the Rocky Mountain National Park. It's one of the most famous parts of the state of Colorado. It's uh, God's country. It was a fun trip. So there uh, been a few famous people born in Colorado. They include actor Tim Allen, NBA star Chancey Phillips. Chauncey. Chauncey. Sorry, my apologies. Chauncey. And you can tell the next one, mate, since uh, you're a big yeah, fan. It's, uh, just the one I had to make sure you added in here was Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Just... Uh, UFC superstar, mate. Uh, just an all-round great guy, I reckon. Yeah, sorry about not having him in there. But how could you? F- I couldn't leave out Trey Parker, the writer, the writer of the Broadway hit, The Book of Mormon. So, yep, I heard it's good. Have you you seen The Book of Mormon? I have, mate. I have. It's very, very good. 
Nice, nice. So it's uh, Denver is 75 k's from South Park, the home of the one and only Randy Marsh and Cartman and Stan and. Oh my God, you killed Kenny. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> uh, would you like to know a bit about the uh, old Denver football mates? Yeah, I would definitely like to know. Actually, so American that. football, being the first trip to America, we'll give a bit of uh, backstory. So the first match between two local U.S. clubs was played in 1996 between Cincinnati and Louisville. In the first year, the Mid-American Australian Football League was formed. Not long after, the Australian Football Association of North America was formed. Yep. So there's over 2,000 registered players in the USA. And from what we hear, it's the biggest league outside of Australia. Uh, the US Revolution is the men's team and the USA Freedom is the women's team. So we have three guests on that are going to chat to us all things Denver football and football in the USA. It was a bloody big chat too, mate. It was quite a long episode. We've had to condense it down a little bit for the video version. But we are on iTunes. We are on Spotify where you'll get the full audio version. We, we found it hard to cut stuff out, but just purely for our time restraints for our videos, we unfortunately had to. But yeah, head across to our iTunes or Spotify and see the extra 45 minutes that we had to, or roughly 45 minutes we needed to uh, edit for the video version. Definitely. I hope you enjoy it and we'll catch you at the end. Thank you. All right. So today we're welcoming uh, another three guests all the way from uh, snowy Denver. Um, there's probably not much snow over there at the moment, but uh, we have Tara, Anna and Ben from the Denver Bulldogs. How is you? How are you all going? Good, thanks. Yeah, good. Thanks for having us. Oh, well, thanks yeah, for thank joining you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to to speak to you and learn a bit about football over in the States. Um, and yeah, let's get into it. So firstly, with the men's footy, what year was uh, the Denver Bulldogs founded and, and how did it get started? All right, thanks. Uh, so um, the Denver Bulldogs, uh, I guess there was a handful of guys uh, on chat rooms in 97 and some of our earliest t-shirts uh, suggested that we were established in 97. Um, but it really was just three or four guys in chat rooms in 97. And by 98, um, they'd all decided to get together for a kick. And uh, throughout the year of 98, um, they had their inaugural kick. There was a... Uh, the original guys that were talking about all this was Jim Baldwin, American guy, Matt Donowski, another American guy, Craig Jones, who was an Aussie, and um, Paul Renouf, who's still around. He joined he joined in with them when they had their first kick down at uh, City Park. And um, so they, they were having some kick-to-kicks trainings and stuff, and, and it was growing a bit in numbers. And uh, that was in 98. So kind of 97, 98, they were, they were formed and talking about, we should, we should play some games, we should get a name, we should, uh, we should elect some officers, uh, a president, and uh, we should make something of this bunch that we've got going. Yeah, so how did you guys decide, or how did they choose the Bulldogs for the, the team colours and mascot? <laughs> well, uh, so Ren, Ren grew up in uh, Flemington. Uh, Ren from Flem, he calls himself. And uh, <laughs> it's, it, I, guess, I guess the Flemington Flats, you could, the Flem Flats, you could see North Melbourne training back in the day. And 
he want he wanted to he's like he was he's a Richmond supporter actually diehard Tigers supporter, but he was like yeah North are a good uh, blue collar team, let's be the Kangaroos. Well, um, there was already the Santa Cruz Roos that were up and established and 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 an early powerhouse actually they've gone on to become the Golden Gate Roos. So the Santa Cruz Roos were already taken. So he so he he just thought of the next most blue collar. <laughs> your boat's team he could think of, and it was the Western Bulldogs. And some, one of the guys who'd come along, Mick Daly, knew someone down there too, like a, like a property manager or something. And, and so uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I know some, you know. So it, it, was, it was fairly innocuous. Uh, it just happened, and we were, we were pretty quickly the Denver Bulldogs. A lot of clubs that we've spoken to get kits sent over from you know, the club's They've got the same name in Australia. Did you guys get anything sent over from the Western Bulldogs? Uh, yeah, we did. And um, I noticed that you, <laughs> you've already heard something about that. Yes. The first <laughs> kit. So I was talking to Ren again because I wanted to get some of the earlier stuff right. I showed up in, uh, in 99. I was there for the, for the second ever tournament that they played. But, but I've been around ever since without ever going back and forth to Australia. So, But uh, they sent over... We got these jumpers... Ren actually brought them over from Melbourne, he said. He met up with this guy down there, grabbed them. And they were, I think they were the Ansett Cup jumpers, the, what used to be the pre-season comp yeah. uh, way back when. And they were, they were not quite the old school wool jumpers, but they weren't quite the new. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd been through the wash and they were pretty tight and they were, they were pretty funny. And, um, you know, those of us who, who know, you know, some of the history of that club, we, we were like, oh, God, we could have picked a more wealthy, well-to-do club to send us some, some good stuff, you know. But in a way, it was being stuck in the middle of the country and not really having much help from... And not wanting to ask the poor Western Bulldogs for much help that kind of galvanised us as a club in those early days. So, yeah, those jumpers were... They were funny. We wore them for one tournament only before we managed to get a, a second kit out of them. Uh, still good to say that they were... You know, wanted to help you guys out where they could, even though back then they weren't exactly flush with money. Um, yeah. How many players did you guys have when you first started and how many do you currently have now? So when we first started, I don't really know. I mean, it was um, the first the first tournament they played was in uh, 99, Anzac Day 99. It was the, it was the Anzac Cup and it was always uh, the Santa Cruz Roos usually hosted it and I guess they went out there and played... Orange County, Santa Cruz, and then they had to play Orange County again as as the draw worked out. And um, so they lost their first two games and then they beat Santa Cruz, uh, Orange County the second time they played them. And so I don't know, they must have taken enough for a full team then. I think it was 18 on 18. Uh, they all drove out there in cars for that one. By the time, um, so that was 99. And then, and then by the time we played the Kansas City, they used to have this thing called a Spring Classic. We went out there and played. We had a full team with a full bench, you know, maybe six guys on the bench. So it's 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 varied a lot since then over the years. Sometimes we've got reserves. Sometimes we've got enough reserves to combine with another team's reserves. Sometimes we've barely got enough for, uh, you know, for our for our Divi One team, men's team, um, and it just it just comes and goes with the seasons. It's like I say, it's it's a hard sport to get people to. Um, even know that exists uh, but right now we're doing really really well uh, last year we had um, 69 
registered men's players uh, in 2019. Oh, wow, that's quite a fair bit, actually. Yeah. Um, so out of them 69, how many were Australians? How many were you know, Americans or other uh, nationalities? It's almost always been about 50-50, I think, um, over the years. I couldn't tell you right now exactly what, what it is, and, um, and that's about all I know about that. That's good to see that uh, a lot of countries we've spoken to, a lot of countries, a lot of clubs we've spoken to through country uh, from other countries. <clears throat> excuse me, say that a lot of Australians come across and actually aren't even aware for a couple of years that there's a club running around. Is that the same in Denver? Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah, it's um, I don't know, I don't know how to improve that. It's um, it's it's just rugby's a decent sized sport. Rugby's a very college level sport and um and the other thing about american culture in general is you kind of play sport in high school you play sport in college and then you're just kind of done you know i mean of of sports that are you know like football or something big that's hard to organize ice hockey and stuff like that there's just the culturally you seem to be done and so i think a lot of people stop really looking for any you know maybe they play kickball or or volleyball, or ultimate frisbee, or something like that. But I think a lot, a lot of them are um, uh, impressed that uh, in Australia, you know, you play until you, you know, your knees give out, and and it's the same as they're playing at the AFL level. You know, you never, it, it's the same size field, it's a, it's full contact, and it's um, so yeah, I, I don't know, it's um, it's hard, you know, it's very hard to get to get people interested in playing this sport, especially especially when you. <laughs> Tell them they've got to pay for their own airfare and pay for their own hotel, and they might get hurt while they play. <laughs> so, yeah, I think yeah. Um, over here, it's a big part of our our culture is sport, and yeah. I think a majority of Australians have this sort of weekend warrior type attitude towards sport, where we, you know, like my my dad played footy up until he's uh, was almost sixty years old. All his mates you know, well into their sixties and still playing Aussie rules football. Um, and we just, many of us that just never stop and keep going. Um, and yeah, I know having friends that have traveled over to the States and, and, um, you know, uh, tried out for college, uh, gridiron and, and, you know, as punters and things like that. Um, yeah, a lot of them were surprised that, you know, guys play college level and then never, never play a sport again. And, um, I think there'd be some uh, receivers that played college level and stuff like that would be uh, ideal centre half forwards and uh, would make great full forwards with their catching ability and just teach them how to kick. You'd have a uh, have some uh, unbelievable footballers with uh, some of the talents of those college level players. Yeah, if we ever tap into uh, you know people fresh out of college, which we're always trying to do, um, a lot of them still have aspirations of making money out of their athletic ability which isn't going to happen, you know, at the USAFL just yet. Uh, um, if we ever tap into those guys, I mean, you know, if you, a 35-year-old Aussie ain't ever going to get a game again. I mean, they, there, there is a wealth of, um, of untapped college-level talent out there that, uh, you know, we've got to try and get into. It also shows a difference in the cultures. You know, you guys across there play your high school and your college sports are such a big deal where over here it's you know, your private schools might play 
uh, like your sport once a week and then unis, a lot of the unis are literally just, just in the standard Saturday competition. So it's nowhere near as big as it is over there. So I think that also makes a difference for blokes like us that don't get to experience that, I guess, highs that you know, some colleges get to experience that makes us want to play it all, you know, the whole time. So... Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we play more for our local towns, I guess, back in Oz than uh, than our. Uh, I played a few games for my school, but uh, it was nothing like you know the small town rivalries, uh, like I'm sure your like your football club. Yeah, well, funny enough, we don't live anywhere near our football club. Um, <laughs> so. I wouldn't say not anywhere near, mate. It's like yeah, fifteen well, minutes, twenty-five minute <laughs> drive down the highway, but comparative to sort of where you know where you guys would be compared to where your club is um yeah we probably have about 20 plus football clubs between where we live and where we actually play so yeah yeah um there's yeah football clubs uh, everywhere there's footy grounds on on you know at every corner and uh yeah there's football everywhere as compared like you said over there there's you know there's high school college level of uh of you know American football and hockey, and there's no sort of uh, weekend league or we'll, we, you know partake. We're in. telling um, states lose someone. We're talking to them the other day that we live in the same suburb. Um, there's a football club thirty seconds away from me, and a football club a minute from him, and they're two completely different clubs. Like that's just how many footy clubs there are in Victoria in our area. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Bruce Rock, Western Australia, and. Uh, our furthest road trip was um, hour and a half out to uh, Southern Cross, which was you know three half halfway out to Kalgoorlie, and uh, I mean that was a long one. But I mean we drove an hour to most away games out there in the Eastern Districts Football League. Yeah, our guys are complaining when they've got to drive forty five minutes to South Yarra. So um, yeah, I can't imagine we'd get them to travel an hour and a half. Well, um, training. Yeah. Training can take two hours to get to, depending on traffic here in Denver, even when you live in Denver. So uh, I kind of oh, okay. miss that open road, actually. <laughs> that's not, too, that's not uh, too dissimilar to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. If, you, if you leave where we live at the wrong time, it can take you a good hour to get to training, even though we're, it's a 20-minute drive when it's clear. So. Yeah. Well, Anna lives in Boulder, and that can be anywhere from 45 minutes to, to two hours, depending on if there's been an accident on the highway or not. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, the things we do for footy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's, uh, let's bring the girls in and uh, speak a bit about yeah. women's footy. Um, so what year did the women's Bulldog team start and how did that come about? Um, yeah, so we started uh, in 2007, although I am aware of a couple of attempts to start a women's team earlier than that. Um, but it was sort of shot down by the, the current players at that time. I think there were some old Aussies that didn't really think women should be playing the sport. So, um, but then a couple of folks like uh, James Waddell and Rich Mann came along and they quickly saw that, um, you know, women playing footy was actually the future of footy and that they wanted to support that and create that. So um, they kind of put the onus on the men's team to recruit women. And um, around that same time, uh, they created what we call Aussie ball, which is like a co-ed non-contact version of the sport. Um, and they really were able to utilize that um, as, as sort of a recruiting tool to kind of get women interested in the sport. And then, you know, by the way, it's full contact. Um, so, you know, once you get hooked on the flow, 
um, and teach some skills, people really fall in love with the sport. And then, um, and then you mentioned <laughs> that it's full contact. So, um, yeah, so that was in 2007. Um, and we started with three, three, uh, women and I was one of them. So yeah. Uh, Laura Porter is the other and Amy Kennedy. Yeah. Nice. So, um, you mentioned rich man was one of the, the guys that helped uh, get the women's footy started. We actually spoke with, uh, Calgary kangaroos and he did a great impression of rich man. So you might want to check that out when we post it up. Uh, yeah. He t- told quite a funny story about him commentating some of their games ah. and, at the, at the US tournaments. I'm glad you edit these, Rifty. I'm sitting there going, I don't know, I don't remember what you're talking about. We've done so many of them, but yes, I do recall that. And that yeah, was, it, was, it was good. Yeah, so he must be a, a a good figure for Aussie Rules football over there, by the sounds of it, and helping get things started. And um, so, when yeah. did you, the women, actually get to play their first proper game? Um, so yeah, the first game that we ever played was in 2008 at Nationals in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm sure Benny was there. <laughs> um, and so we only had three women at that time. And so what happens a lot of times, you know, in the United States is when you're trying to start a team and get going, you know, you're kind of in that development phase and you probably don't have enough people to field a full team. So, and there's other teams who are in a similar predicament. So essentially you combine teams. So there were three of us and Arizona, um, the Arizona Lady Hawks, I believe um, they had enough to feel the team plus our three. So we joined forces with them and that was when we played our very first game. And um, I couldn't even tell you who we played against. I honestly don't remember much. I just remember that we had no idea what we were doing and we just kind of dove headfirst um, right into it and um, kind of loved every minute of it. And, pretty much haven't looked back since so so you had three when you first started um how many do you guys do you ladies have now um i don't know tara probably knows the exact count She's <laughs> good with numbers like that. <laughs> currently we are rocking about uh 20 women on our roster um but then again that fluctuates much like benny said like we constantly have people coming in and out of our club especially being a women's side um you know a lot of our women we're caregivers where you know we help the household we're doing things like going back to school so we constantly have transition of women players um last year we actually had enough women to make two full teams which is the first time ever um, in the USAFL history that we brought two uh, full teams to our uh, tournament which was amazing to have Um, so people have that many women is fantastic we're always growing we're always recruiting so again it just is kind of dependent on the year um yeah it's impressive to have two full teams of women that's eight in a side yes Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we play sixteens. It depends on what the other teams have as far as numbers, but we usually roster about twenty-one players. Very impressive. And what's the ratio of Aussies to uh, Americans? Uh, we hardly ever have any Aussies. This year we have three, though, so we're lucky to have them, and we love them. And um, yeah, yeah, hopefully we can get more. But um, the, there's a league rule that you can't have more than fifty percent. Aussies on, on the team. So. On the field. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah sorry, on the field. <laughs> but what's really a, 
Um, sorry, I was just oh. going to say what's really impressive actually about our team is not Australians to Americans, but also our international players that we have from other countries. So our women's team actually has people from South America. We had people from Europe last year, Africa. Uh, we've had pretty much nearly every continent except for, you know, like Antarctica or something. But we've had all, <laughs> all types of women come and play for the Denver Bulldogs. So that's kind of really cool to see that we actually have more than just Australians and Americans playing. That is cool. Um, before I get your next question, Rift, you said that it's only 50-50 is the league rule. Is that 50% Australians and 50% Americans or 50% Americans and 50% anywhere else in the world? You girls want to answer that? That's a great question. <laughs> it is 50% uh, Americans, 50% technically anywhere else in the world. However, um, since we don't have a lot of players in other parts, they usually just categorize it as Australians. It's technically you have to be a U.S. citizen um, for 50% on the field. Um, and then the other 50% can be international players. Technically, it's the international is the correct title, but we usually categorize that as Australian. How do they police it? As you said, it's only when on the field. So obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have as many as you want sitting on the bench. How do they police that and make sure that no one's you know, trying to be a bit dodgy? Um, we don't really, like, it's not, I guess, police. Uh, we usually do a roster at the beginning of the season. Um, so we have to tell who exactly is on our team at the beginning of the season for a roster. Um, we just keep track of it. And you can um, like tell like, hey, you have too many Australians on your side and can't play. I mean, the guys get called out a lot. You can probably speak to that, Benny, of how you get called out for having too many Australians on a side. Yeah, you have oh, your register. The armband, right? Yeah, you have your register and all Australians wear a black armband. All non-Australians uh, don't. And I mean, there's many, many times I'll stop a game and do a head count uh, for numbers on the field and or numbers wearing the armband. And um, it's pretty tightly placed, especially once you get to the national tournament every October, because people really care about the result there. Also, the regional tournaments. And then there's other times that, you know, obviously, maybe you travel with, with a few too many and you, you talk to the opposition before you have your, your game and all that sort of stuff. And depending on the rivalry, they might help you out and uh, they might also <laughs> tell you to go pound sand. So. <laughs> I was going to say it'd be pretty tough for the uh, umpires to to police that not only do they have to worry about you know giving out cards for blokes doing the wrong thing but then they have to check green cards as well so yeah well it's gone <laughs> through 20 20 different iterations i'm sure because you could ask rich man about this if you ever get him on a podcast uh you know they've gone everywhere from where did you play your first game because there's some people that are american citizens but grew up in australia from the time they were two and you know that's not really fair and all there's been there's been it's always a hot button uh topic for sure yeah so, and there'd be others that are grown up in america and never played aussie rules and then right you know that are aussies that are aussies yeah they, yeah and they can't kick but what their dad was an aussie and so they you know so it's tough yeah. uh um every now and then you kind of get the benefit from it benefit from it from you know one particular year the rules are whatever and um we, we early on, especially when we started winning some flags, we were like, we don't ever want to do anything to, to get that called into disrepute. So, you know, one of my good friends, Kyle Weir, he, he's an Aussie. Uh, he's, he lives down there now. Well, sorry, he's an American, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's as Aussie as you and I are. And uh, he just said, I don't want to be called an American. There's no way. I don't, want, I don't want us to, like, win a flag and 
and have uh, have that hanging over my head. So um, another thing I will say is that early on, when the, when um, there wasn't really any rules, so in 1999, at our first nationals, they decided four players on the field at any time had to be American. And um, we did okay at that nationals. And our team was always about 50-50. And then the following year in 2000, when they made it 60, a 60-40 rule, uh, we, we won. I mean, we, we just managed to pip San Diego and they were probably the best team there. Um, but Boston, which were really, really good in 99 and it was still good in 2000, they didn't quite bring home the bacon. Well, they were all Aussies. They, they, had, they had won there. They just had a full team of Aussies. So by the time it switched to 50-50, Denver had relied on their the 50% American ratio for so long that we were, we were a little ahead of, of some of the other clubs. So it kind of worked in our favour to not have a stacked team full of Aussies. In um, <clears throat> America, like the league, how many clubs would be like you and fairly 50-50? Uh, how many clubs would struggle with that 50-50 rule because of the amount of, amount of Australians they've got with them? Um, well, I'll just speak for the men's, I guess, but there's there's the main clubs probably, you know, Austin are crushing it right now, but they would be about 50-50. Um, there's ourselves, um, New York, um, probably Dallas. The, the, the main clubs that have stayed in Divi 1 for quite a while, um, the Golden Gate, Ruse, uh, I think Minnesota's about 50-50. Kirky, Kirky came from Minnesota. Um, yeah, the the clubs that are high up in Divi 2 or consistently in Divi 1, they generally have close to 50-50. Um, seems seems to be or easily can always field 50-50. Yeah. It'd be pretty hard now to win it to win one if you didn't you know when you got 18 on the field if nine of them are Australian that's that, that's probably about the main the main six clubs that are probably a chance of winning it and so um, I don't know that's that there's a lot of clubs that start up with one or two Aussies and they manage to get a ton of American guys and I. I tip my hat to them it's just it's just it's, it's, it's a hard it's a tough learning curve i mean teaching someone how to kick a footy is uh it's just tough i um went to a a coaching thing years and years ago and the bloke doing the coaching course said it was easier to teach a bloke to kick like who's never touched the footy before than to try and change a bloke's kicking kicking mechanism because it was just easier to actually teach a bloke to that's never picked the footy up to kick than yeah. try and fix up someone's poor technique. So yeah. I could imagine how hard it would be to you know, try and teach someone that's never picked up a football to kick one. Yep. So, like a uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you got bad kicking habits, it'd be hard to break. But I, I guess when you got, um, yeah, fresh, fresh people that have never even seen the shape of our, our ball, um, it, yeah, it would take a while to teach them. We've, uh, had a, a couple of international guys come down at our club in, you know, during our time there that have you know, had, a, had a try at kicking the footy around. And yeah, you sort of, I don't know, it's probably easy to teach a little kid how to kick a footy. He can then grow up doing it and uh, trying to teach an adult. Yeah. yeah. But um, what months of the year do you guys play? Um, our season runs. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tara. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Right. Go for it, Anna. Uh, our season runs from May to October, so 
um, you know, it's about six months and uh, weather in Denver, you know, can be fairly moody <laughs> all the way through. Yeah, I mean, we've even had snow in late May. So, you know, we, we try to start our season the first weekend in May, um, you know, kind of weather permitting. Um, it usually rains like the first training from what I remember for the last decade. Um, yeah. And then in October, even, you know, the weather can start to change in the fall. So um, that we, we kind of have to live and die by the weather here in Colorado just because, you know, there's other places in this country that people can play year round and, you know, they, they train much longer than we do. And I certainly think that's somewhat of an advantage, but, you know, we hit the ground running as soon as May comes and, you know, usually people have a strong off season as well. So it's nice to hear that it's not just Melbourne that they've weathers all over the shop. With you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so Tara, you're the lead recruiter for the club, I believe. Um, how hard is it to get players? I know this would be a 50-50 split and some people don't even know the game exists over there. So how hard is it to get players for both men's and the women's? Well, we have, lucky for us, I call myself the lead recruiter. That's only because I take charge and give myself the title. But we actually have a full uh, committee that helps with recruitment. And um, each side, most the men and the women do a great job of like, working towards recruitment. So we're very lucky with the Denver Bulldogs. Um, but it is extremely difficult. Uh, Denver is kind of a transient city. We have several large universities here. So we constantly have people moving in and out. Um, it's a very big tech city. So again, you have people moving in and out as well. So it is a very difficult challenge um, in the United States to get people alone. Um, Cause again, it's an obscure sport that nobody knows. A lot of people have a rugby background or a soccer background. Um, the women have been doing a really amazing job with recruitment, um, probably more so than the guys recently. We have kind of our core group of men that have throughout the years that they've kept um but then the women's team especially last season we've just really like rocked it on the recruitment and i think one of our biggest um positives is just our grassroots approach so both ben and i are rocking our denver bulldog shirts currently right now and we go out and we have a kick and we literally just say hey come on down to you know play with us or we're at a bar or a pub we say hey come out and play with the denver bulldogs and that has been one of our biggest recruitment tools ever is just being able to go out and talk to people show them you know having a kick or what our club is all about and grabbing people from gyms or um jobs or whatever and we've just done a really good job that way that's impressive you did mention about um you know you guys rocking your denver bulldogs stuff at the moment and when i was looking you guys up on facebook and your website uh the back of your playing jumper and your training jumper how do i can I get one of them because they're bloody awesome the, you know, the denver skyline i think it is and the, the colorado uh low um flag on it that was yeah i come across them actually even Showed them to my wife. I'm like, oh, look how cool these ones are. <laughs> email Tara. Yeah, you. we can maybe make that happen. Email Tara. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I think Ed Dog would be almost pretty keen to get over and help you guys recruit as well because his favorite thing is to get mates drunk and um, convince them to come play footy <laughs> with us. So I think he, he'd, 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 help, he'd help you. Uh, he'd like a glove. Yeah, he'd uh, yeah. help you out with come that recruiting, recruiting a of, strategy. There's a couple of episodes. <laughs> I'm not too sure when they're coming out, um, if they're going to be released before this or after this. But there's two episodes in a row where we spoke to our players. And the question we asked him is, how did you get down to the club? And both of them blokes were like, oh, I was on a Bucks night and with that dog and 
he got me pissed and the next you know, five minutes later I was committed to play at Sandown. So it's a good strategy and it works. So if I'm ever in America, right. I do plan on doing, you know, I'll come across to Denver and try and get you some, have a few beers and get some players for you. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> you'll, you'll get pissed and sign up to play for us for a year. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> See, we're already recruiting on this podcast. So there you go. You've, you've, got, the, you've got the right colors for me. So I'll give you that. There you go. Yeah, we'll just have to change the, the, the bulldog to a cobra and we'll be right. <laughs> uh, but uh, what's the sort of sporting background of the players that you, you are able to attract to footy? Uh, a lot of them coming from other sports or uh, a lot of them sort of not really played sport and, and thought they'd give footy a try? Go ahead, girls. Yeah. Um, I mean, we get people from all different backgrounds. Um, and I think similar to what Benny was saying earlier, you know, people play growing up in high school or then again in college, and then they kind of don't really know what to do with themselves. But, you know, the likelihood is that they really miss that um, camaraderie and team atmosphere and, you know, just sort of the community and the culture um, that team sports offer. And so, those are the people actually that we're looking for, um, you know, so, but I mean, basketball players, hockey players, soccer players, um, you know, runners, you know, track and field athletes. Um, we do get some guys who play, you know, American football as well. Um, and a few rugby players here and there, I would say that's what, um, but you know, basketball players understand like the jump at the beginning, right? They understand the ruck. Usually they're tall and they understand that sort of physicality in the middle. Um, and, you know, footy really lends itself to so many different um, abilities and positions across the field, you know, so getting people with these really um, unique backgrounds um, from sport is really helpful, you know, and it actually strengthens our game across the field. So, yeah, so like we've spoken about, we've spoke to a few other teams across the world and um, sort of a common thing is that you get um, – you know, players that have other sporting backgrounds and a lot of the places have, you know, rugby's the, the sort of big sport in the area. And I sort of start to think, is there a lot of guys and, and girls that aren't quite physically suited to that, that sort of game and they, they find Aussie rules as a, you know, you don't have to be as big and bulky to, to keep just running headfirst at each other and you get to, you know, you get to evade people and, and play a different sort of type of game that, uh, yeah, you don't have to be as you know physically big and imposing, and you know players of all sizes can can fit into Aussie rules somewhere. Yeah, as far as the men's players go, over the years, uh, um, you know we've had everything from some awesome uh, you know rugby American football types who who they're like, yeah, it's a good sport, but I don't get to hit guys often enough, you know, and you're like, well. You, <laughs> <laughs> You got to you got to catch them with the ball to get them, you know, and and that, and for a while there, um, during a pretty good run of of premierships for us, uh, we had a bunch of guys that were um, they were soccer background, but they were the kind of guys that got red carded every time they played, and they were like, we love this. We, you, there's nothing we can do really to get sent off here, you know, and well, there's a few things, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's um it's tough to uh, it's tough to put a finger on exactly what's the best sports background. Um, there's been there's been a million of them. Um, one of our guys, Sled Dog Willie, was big into ice hockey, and um, we got him on one away trip, and he was hooked. And uh, <laughs> it was there was beer and a dance floor, and 
nudity involved in <laughs> his recruitment. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, you just never know. You get a great, you get a great guy down there from or girl from whatever background, and you just never know whether they're going to uh, catch the bug or not. You know. So um, another another no, common thing no around the another common thing around the world is uh, you get. A, you get people away on a trip away somewhere and that's where they really fall in love with it. The, you know, the, the, a lot of the Europe cups and I know you guys play sort of national tournaments all around the States and stuff. And I think, uh, you know, in Australia, we don't really get opportunities to do that unless you're playing at the, the highest level. So, yeah. um, yeah, like, like I said, the furthest we go is about a 45 minute drive. We don't, yeah, we're not traveling the country playing the sport. Um, I it builds it, a camaraderie like nothing else to be away, you know, uh, halfway across the country. You're all there together. Everyone hates you. You hate everyone else. But you uh, you play this sport and then you uh, drink a bunch of tinnies afterwards and uh, pat each other on the back and tell lies. And uh, it, it really is it's pretty unique to the U.S. But, well, for me, coming from Australia and only playing here in the U.S., like to have to travel a long way on your own dime to uh, to play a tournament it's um i mean it builds friendships you know uh, really quickly and uh, i'm sure the girls can attest to that too yeah definitely that travel component is huge um to be able to play together and recruit that way yeah you said um <clears throat> that you know you've everyone at the club you know loves each other and you hate everybody else because you're going to be playing against them i reckon there's quite a few boys at our club rifty that we know would love each other when they left if they'll across the country for three days, they'll be hating each other within their own uh, club. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned soccer. Every, every club we've spoken to so far besides Calgary have been uh, in the European area. So they have a lot of soccer and I have a love of soccer. So I've been asking, you know, what's it like to live in towns that have them? But Rifty, you know what? You can actually ask this question, mate, because I know that you sit there and get bored about my question of sports. And I know how much you love, like myself, American sports. So go ahead. Yeah, all right. So, like you said, I, I'm not a fan of the round ball game. I, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I love my American football and I also love the, the college game. Um, what's it like being in a place uh, like Denver where there is such a big American football and, you know, Denver's had some fair bit of success uh, over their time? What's it sort of like being in a place like that, that when, you know, when Denver Broncos are up and about? Um, I think it. I think it just like it kind of sort of unifies us. So we take that opportunity for like when the Broncos are playing and they're doing really well. Like we're a big sports team um, in Denver. Like we have a lot of professional sports teams in the state of Colorado, um, and especially in Denver. So I think we just take that as an opportunity to like kind of bond with our club. We use that as uh, watching a football game to use it as a bonding session. Um, you know, we have those games we I, we don't really use it I guess as far as I don't know players or anything like that but we go out to the pub and we'll watch a Broncos game together and we're all together as a footy team and then we could also talk footy while talking American football so it kind of blends the two together which is great. So <clears throat> Rifty mentioned how he's a big fan of Dallas and American sports um we actually have a tournament involving blokes at our club called the the Madden Cobra Bowl which we get it's 10 blokes. We all play the, you know, the Madden video game and play across a day in my bar area. And Rifty's the current champion. You've got the trophy <laughs> handy, Rifty, or? Oh. 
It's a decent <laughs> one. So. Reach. Oh, wow, yeah. nice. Nice. Like, everybody loves some hardware. Yeah, so he's, we're meant to, I think, pretty much as I put our lockdown a bit more stricter, it was the weekend he was going to be defending it, and he's happy that he doesn't need to lose it, and his missus is devastated he has to keep it. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was going back to back, but anyway. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to, to it, Mark. Yeah, so um, with all these other sports being big over there, you know, how, is, how hard is it to get grounds to play on? And do you guys get to play on any full-size Aussie rules grounds at all? Yeah, a full-size Aussie rules ground doesn't exist, I think, in the United States. There might be one. I think there's some guy in Florida who has a, a field. Big There's enough one to in see the regulation size. Yeah. Cricket field um, got posts. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but no, I mean, we, we really just have to get creative. And to be totally honest, like that's probably one of our biggest struggles um, from, from an administrative perspective. Um, the three of us are all on the board for the Denver Bulldogs. And so, you know, each year we're kind of tackling new problems and tackling some old problems. And the one that consistently comes up is fields and where we're going to play. So, um, you know, soccer is a big sport here and, you know, especially youth soccer. So, um, and those are the fields that we would utilize for our training grounds. So if you can get a soccer complex that's big enough, then we can basically draw our own field, which takes up multiple soccer fields. Just, I mean, you guys know how big the field is. So, um, yeah, we essentially have to um, to like bid for fields early on in the season. Um, and even then, we're always the last choice um, because they give priority to the youth sports, um, you know, which is great. Obviously, the kids need to play soccer and have those facilities available. But um, it just creates the unique challenge for us to try to um, find grounds that are big enough, you know, and as our club grows, um, you know, big enough to actually host the men's and the women's team together, um, which is something that we really want to continue to do because it really um, bonds the club as a whole together. You know, we, we, we've entertained the idea and in years past we've had separate training grounds, but we really feel that it's important to have that cohesion and make sure that, you know, club mates can see each other on a weekly basis and continue to interact and stuff. And we don't want to keep things too separate. So um, but yeah, finding fields is is definitely a challenge for us. So, so got a couple fields. of stories. I, I go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. A couple of stories uh, of the early days. Um, my first nationals in '99 was in Cincinnati, and I don't know what it was, but it was like a cow paddock of of some sort. It was, uh, <laughs> and because we got to try and get two or three fields on it, so finding that is is rough. Plus, there's something about you say you're Australian rules football and they think you're going to destroy the place. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if it's the word Australian or, or they think we've got, you know, sprigs two inches long in our boots or whatever. That one was funny. The, the one in 2001, we played in the middle of a horse racing track in uh, Washington, DC, Baltimore. And it wasn't bad, but there was a rock in the forward pocket sticking out of the ground. It's pretty smooth. But they painted it pink, so you knew where it was. Uh, and then, um, I mean, just some of them. I mean, uh, Anna mentioned the girls' first uh, win, or the first game she played was was actually 07 in Kentucky. Um, but uh, that the footage from that is is funny. The dust was flying. I don't know. They had a soccer field, but it hadn't been watered because we'd been in a bit of a drought. And, uh, I mean, it was – I mean, I, I grew up in country WA and played on some – dusty fields there but this was something else it was very dusty in kentucky that year 
it was a couple others I uh, I thought of because I got the questions printed off. I'd, I'd thought of a couple others. They escaped me now. But yeah, finding fields. Oh, two years ago, maybe our uh, our coach, Jared, who is one of our newest Aussies that we were really, I was really looking forward to seeing him play. I didn't go on this trip, but I guess out in LA, he, he did his knee. He put his foot in a hole, like a big pothole on, in the ground. Jeez. And uh, yeah, he did his knee. He needed a re- reconstruction. And uh, so yeah, finding fields is tough. Oh, that was the other one. I'll end with this one. One year we went and played in the middle of the season in um, New York. And I don't know the geography too much of, I know Manhattan a bit, but we got on a subway and got on a train and we headed north. Now it come up out of the ground and it was above ground for a long time. Wherever the train tracks stopped, there was a big field there. Uh, just a big like bunch of baseball fields and stuff. But we, we all lined up at both teams and walked across it, picking up all the broken glass before we played a game. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, just some of the good memories of uh, finding fields in those early days was, it was funny. If it makes you feel a bit better, I'm not going to mention the club because I don't think it's <laughs> fair that I do. I will give a page to go look at though. Shout out to the suburban footballer. If you go to his page and scroll down a little bit and hear him talking about a certain ground that he played on, yeah. And it's, yeah, that rock on the ground is, it's not too uh, dissimilar to some of the stuff that we've played on at a certain ground in Victoria. So I said, I won't mention the club name, just had a respect for him. But yeah, suburban football, head to that page. and You can mention the name, mate. It doesn't matter. Uh, I don't really feel comfortable. South Yarra, that's right. <laughs> I'll say it. One of the richest areas in Victoria and they have the worst ground you, you could imagine. And uh <laughs> If you check out the video he's talking about, the suburban footballer, he does he does not take a backward step in and in giving it to him about how bad their ground is. I should yeah. have uh, said South Yarra because South Yarra did uh, share what he uh, the video with the yeah, exactly. he isn't wrong. So yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, so I don't feel too bad about you know, the grounds over there. But as you say, like obviously finding grounds to play on is tough. What about training? Like, what where do you guys train? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we have a training ground that we use consistently probably for the past, uh, four years now. Um, it's a park that just is a big open space of the field. Um, again, now that our teams are growing so big, we're having issues of just being able to play. It can kind of fit almost, uh, a oval on there. It's a smaller oval. We can kind of put one in but that means we have our two full men's teams and our full women's teams trying to train at the same time on this little grass space so we've had to allocate it to um, like half our sessions get to play in the field and the other half can have to play off of the side and then we switch um, just to be able to have space it's a it's a bit weird Rift do you want to tell that story you told the whoever it was the other day you better off with that story about the four teams and Oh, okay. Yeah. So a few years ago, we actually had four teams. So we had, I think it was 110 plus players registered to our club. So we had to train. Usually we train a Tuesday, Thursday night, but we had to have guys train on a Wednesday night separate because we had that many players on our ground. Um, But also during our off season, there's guys that play this stupid sport in Australia called cricket. And so they take over our field. And so in our off-season, when we're trying to do pre-season training, we have, to, we have to get creative. And a lot of times we end up in a park with potholes or whatever. So this last year, we trained on actually on a, on a soccer, synthetic soccer field, which was actually, at least it was flat. It wasn't, uh, you know, 
quite nice soft grass, but yeah, that's sort of a, even in Australia we're having to get creative with uh, you know because yeah, some people want to play a stupid sport where they hit a ball and stand out in the sun for an, nine hours. So I don't, I don't understand it. But um, so there's a, a US AFL and a Colorado league. Um, so what months does that tournament or league run for? So it's the same. So like we're part of the larger uh, USAFL, like that encompasses our entire United States. So we have 46 active clubs and seven uh, developmental clubs in the entire United States. So we are one of those 46 clubs, um, the Denver Bulldogs are. Um, so our Colorado League, I guess, or our club um, is encompassed of Denver. And then it ranges across all the other 50 states that we have. Very nice. So we Colorado Cup. Okay. The Colorado Cup is a reasonably new thing that our president Steve Noble's really pushed uh, to his credit. Um, a bit of it is to follow uh, a, a template set up by um, Gold, Golden Gate Ruse. They they have a full comp that they play all year. You know, they're kind of what we call scrimmages or what you might call a scratch match in you know back there intra club match. But um, when, once we got enough players, we broke it up into, I think, what do we, do we play, what, about 10 or 12 a side, something like that, to make sure we get the full 14 for the men's anyways. So um, it's really come on recently. But we can be playing that as our Saturday training instead of, you know, a bit of a warm-up and then the Colorado Cup games. Of course, all these USAFL games, someone's got to fly to us or drive to us um, or we've got to fly to them to play one of those tournaments. So... So we get to play ourselves in Denver at the start of the year and uh, for about a, I think it's about an eight or 10 week series. And then we concentrate on the business end of the year, but we can fly away and play a tournament, you know, mid, mid our own competition at any time, depending on what we set up for the year, what's going to be our regional tournament that we attend and who wants to travel to Denver, who owes us a trip from last year, etc. So is it, um, you said who owes us a trip. A few clubs I've spoken to from around the world mentioned that you know they'll go fly out somewhere to play and then they return the favour. Is that the same with you guys? How you guys work out who you play against? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we try to have some conversations early on in the season, you know, just putting the feelers out there to see if anyone is interested in sort of, um, you know, you're really building a relationship with another club and sort of their board and their president um, and you want to get on everyone's schedule. So um, you know, the more games that we can play, the more, I should say, USAFL-sanctioned games that we can play throughout the season, um, you know, the better prepared we are come nationals in October. So, um, so yeah, a lot of the teams are fairly highly motivated to get um, additional games in. Um, you know, and there's always the friendly rivalries and teams that we've been playing for years and years. There's, like, the... Um, Unfriendly. Uh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's the Des Moines tournament that we go to um, fairly frequently, and that's, like, a nine-hour drive, so we like to do a road trip for that one. Um, that's a great trip to get people hooked um, early on in the season. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of trading back and forth and saying, hey, well, we, we'll come to you this year if you come to us next year. Um, and clubs are usually building their schedules around those types of agreements early on in the season. So, um, yeah, we try to reach out to new people as well so that we can play some different clubs, or maybe there's a development club that's come about in the last year or so that we haven't really played. So, um, so actually work coming up that question, who are your rivals, be it friendly or unfriendly? 
Uh, I'll go. I'll go with the men's first. I'll give you a brief history. Um, early on, uh, so so '99, we 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 didn't win nationals. So in 2001 nationals, um, Boston, Boston were the perennial. They were they were good, and then um, San Diego probably should have won in 2000. We pipped San Diego in the final. Mind you, it was the sixth game over two days. So. The grand final is quite often not pretty to watch. It's it's the walking wounded and it's it's miserable. Um, it's gotten a little better over the, over the years, but um, so our rivals for a long time were San Diego, uh, Boston, and um, right really right through until in two thousand seven, San Diego. They probably should have won that game too in in Kentucky. Um, we ended up beating them. So we were always it was always Denver and San Diego for a long time were. Uh, the rivals and we were going to, it was one of the two of us that we always thought were going to win that thing for a while there. But then, you know, New York were always good. Um, and lately here it's, um, it's become Austin. Well, Austin are the team to beat. Um, so I guess they're probably everyone's rival right now, you know, uh, as far as the men's go. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those things, you know, like in the VFL, AFL, you know, for a while there was, you know, Essendon, Hawthorne and, and then, you know, Eagles in Sydney, you know, that it, it ebbs and flows like that for sure. So um, there's certain clubs that you definitely uh, get that extra pep in your step when you, when you know you're going to be playing them. What about yeah, and then as far as the, the women's side goes, um, our biggest rivals are probably San Francisco Iron Maidens. But what's kind of unique is we actually used to be the biggest rival, the women's team in Denver. Um, we had won six consecutive national champions. So we were the team to beat. Uh, then we had some transition on our team. Um, people leave from go, like we were talking about kind of being transient. Um, so we're in rebuilding years, which is amazing, which is great because now other women's teams have had the opportunity to get those skill set in um, and become better leaders on the field. So it's kind of really cool to see how much the women's game has grown and the opportunity for other clubs to be able to take the reins and have the opportunity to win championships over the Bulldogs who are kind of destroying them over the years a little bit. <laughs> All right. So Ben, you mentioned that uh, you guys won the championship in 2000. And Tara, you just mentioned about winning six in a row for the women. The Denver Bulldogs are the most successful club in the, at the Nationals. Um, how many championships have the men's won? And how many championships have the women won? And um, what years did you guys win them? Uh, well, the men have won eight. And uh, we've won, we won them in 2000. Um, and then we won them in 02, 03, 04, and 05, which was a uh, pretty incredible feat, uh, a four-peat. Um, and then we won, so those four, 05, we missed out in 06, San Diego. <laughs> and then uh, we beat them in 07, and then we missed out in 08, and then we we won in 09, missed out in 10, and we won in 2011. It was eight total. And um, there was a core of both Americans and Australians that were just disgustingly hungry to win. I mean, we were terrible. <laughs> Some of these guys were terrible losers. And, uh, and we, what, we, what we really realized when we, when we won our first one, we beat San Diego in 2000. Then they beat us 
you know, not in the grand final, they beat Boston in the grand final, but they came back and flogged us the next year. And even though we had recruited, we had, our team was better, they came back and beat us. And and it was at that, that point that we, we um, decided that we hated that feeling. And, uh, and uh, we, we, it was like it was like we were acting professionals. And we fired the coach. We got a new coach, and we, we went on a run. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I could talk forever about that. The four peat was uh, was pretty special. Um, and then the thing was is that that call got old, um, and and other clubs c- came up, and um, which was which is good. And um, we've been rebuilding for a bit now. Last year we made it back into the to the big dance, as they like to call it over here. Um, and uh, so we made it back into the grand final against uh, Austin. We got flogged by Austin, um, which are the, the men's team to beat right now. So uh, we've been rebuilding for, for a little while. The, the nice thing about um, the Denver Bulldogs men's is we never dropped out of that division one. We always, um, even though we were, we didn't really have the cattle to get the job done. We were like, you know, uh, it's it's the bulldog tradition, I guess, that we we formed pretty early. When we were new, we said, you know, <laughs> clubs have been in Victoria, Australia, for a hundred years, and some of them have one premiership. You know, if we manage to establish ourselves as a club that won't accept, you know, we want to be one of the Collingwoods, or the Carltons, or the Estendons, so to speak. So we we really we really shoved it home, maybe to our own maybe to our own demise for a while there, because. <laughs> But that's how that's how the men that's how the men kind of got started there. A lot of those guys, myself included, came from clubs that I, I probably lost eighty percent of my games playing footy growing up. I, I I hated it. And then when we had a new club, we're like, let's not be one of those clubs. Let's be let's be a let's have a winning tradition. And uh, we got pretty pretty aggressive about getting after it. And 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 the women go ahead. They they did the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the guys really set the tone for sure. And I remember, you know, joining in the early years um, and it was palpable. You know, you could really tell that there was there was something to be fought for and something to be won. And um, personally, that really attracted me. I'm extremely competitive and I've been, you know, involved in athletics my entire life, like running competitive tracks since I was seven, playing softball in high school and pretty much any sport I could get my hands on. Um, so, you know, that was for me, something that really drew me in. Um, and I think it, it just set sort of the, the tone for the culture of the club um, to have this legacy of winning and to have this legacy of being one of the strongest and biggest and, you know, um, successful clubs uh, in the country. So um, not that there was any pressure on us, you know, the women did our thing and we took a couple of years to kind of develop and build, um, but uh, started winning championships in 2010, right, Tara? Um, and we won six consecutive championships. So, um, yes. yeah, which has, has not been repeated since um, by any women's team, although uh, the San Francisco Iron Maidens, uh, I think, just won their fourth last year. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's really important for folks who are outside of the U.S. to understand um, how much the league as a whole has actually grown and improved. Yep. 
uh, yeah, from a developmental perspective, um, just in the last, you know, five or 10 years. Um, and I really think that, um, the more athletes that we attract, um, you know, people who are really highly competitive, um, and really driven to kind of take their athleticism to the next level, um, they feel that they can accomplish that in footy. And, and I think that across the country, we have this attitude of, you know, everyone's really in it we're a family and we love to, you know, get together and have a good time, but there's also this like very strong, serious athletic component um, that people are driven by. So um, yeah. And that, and that's no different for the Bulldogs. And, and if anything, there's even more pressure just because we have so many championship titles um, and trophies and whatnot, but um, you know, we have to bring it back and say, okay, what are we here for? You know, we're here to have fun. We're here to build a community um, and then we're also here to win. So. so you said that you won six in a row, which is a bloody fair effort. You also runner up last two years as well, or last two years runners up. The women? Uh, no, not last year, but no. two years before that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, similar to what Benny was saying, the women's team has also, um, has been in, a, I would say a couple of years of development. Um, it's really tough to kind of retain women. Uh, you know, again, it's a full contact sport. So in that recruitment piece, you kind of have to get them hooked on, on sort of the connections that they can make and the friendships um, and the social piece. And then sort of secondary to that is sort of the, the club aspect of the footy. So um, yeah, I don't know, Tara, maybe you could speak to that. You know, you've been around for about five years now. So you've seen a lot of changes in that time as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, our biggest thing is, yeah, we haven't, um, we haven't been the top of our game, but that doesn't mean we're not at the top of our game within our club, maybe the league as a whole, but we have been growing significantly. And I think that's a win in itself is just how many women we've had, um, how much recruitment we've had, how much developmental players we've had. I mean, last year we, you know, ended up almost in last, well, in the last place, I should say, but we had an entire team full of rookies, played more than one year of footy ever on our team, so if you take a whole entire team full of rookies that have never played a game, some of them, they hadn't even touched a football for the first time with nationals, was even touching a footy, so if you take that into consideration, um, I think that's winning in itself, just to be able to bring a club like that, um, and a team like that, even two nationals, is quite impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ben, you mentioned before that you guys have always prided yourself on being, you know, never dropped out of Division One. How do you get promoted and relegated? Is it you know, whoever finishes bottom of Division One drops down, Division Two champion goes up, or is it a couple of teams go up and down? Uh, well, just like the um, how you define who is an Australian or American or the ratio 60-40-50-50, the league is in constant flux and they do a very good job uh, around this. Um, oh shit, sorry, what was the question? Um, so you said that you guys are proud of yourself from being at Division 1 the whole time you guys have been oh, there. Oh, yeah. How, yeah who, okay, who do you yeah, work at who drops up and down? Um, it's, it's kind of based... They've got it down pretty much to where it. Um, they'll have a central regional tournament and a, and a western regional tournament and an eastern regional tournament and you'll get seeded from it. And that's um, been tried and perfected a little bit over the years. It feels pretty set in stone now. Um, 
But see, every now and then, it used to be also, it seemed, it seemed like for a while, the winner of Divi 2 would go up. Um, but certain clubs here recently, I think it was two years ago, uh, we had an odd number. We had seven clubs in uh, Divi 1 because one of them didn't want to come up. Um, there's always been a little bit of a... Uh, some clubs are like, uh, look, we don't want to come up and get flogged and lose every game and, and lose players. Uh, understandable. Um, although a lot of people are like, you know, <laughs> get up there and take what's coming to you. Uh, and then, and then um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a... I don't know, that changes a little bit over the years. I think, I think because of that odd situation where there was a club that didn't want to come up and they didn't, um, I think they made some new rules recently around that. Um, I try to stay out of the USAFL stuff. Um, it gets uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty big it's a pretty big bureaucracy now. Um, it's 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 a big deal, and um, it must be a very hard job. It's it's more than a second job. It's a it's a job, and um, so yeah, there's generally eight teams in Division One in the men's, and two pools of four. The winner of each will play each other. And I believe the league tries to make it to where the two best qualified teams of the year do end up kind of, you know, have the chance to win their divisions and end up in the grand final. Now, um, you know, you, you, you could play 20 games locally against some weaker competition and have like a crushing record. And, and this is what I was going to say earlier, actually, about one of the reasons Denver got good early on was... Um, we had to travel everywhere to play. No one wanted to come to Denver. There was one team in the middle. So we, we had to travel everywhere to play everyone. So we got used to going, flying, playing someone, seeing how good they were, staying in a hotel and flying back home. Um, a lot of these clubs like New York might dominate their Northeast league and, and beat Philly and, and beat a bunch of these other, uh, beat Boston and whatever. They don't know when, they, you know, traditionally over the years, they don't know if they haven't traveled they don't, they don't know how good Denver really is or San Diego really is or Austin really is until they get to nationals and, and find out. So it was one of our early uh, benefits of being isolated and wanting to play footy was we had, we had to travel and lots of people did not ret return the favour. So <laughs> to chime in real quick um, in the women's division, you know, we operate similarly, um, but just having so many smaller teams and more developmental teams um, on the women's side, uh, you know, we still do sort of like a, a season record, if you will, of our, our regular season games. And that sort of determines the seeds or the seeding at nationals. Um, but it's also based on numbers, you know. So like I mentioned, we have a lot of combination teams. So maybe a, half a team from Texas and the other half from Minnesota or whatever and they combine um, and so any combined team isn't allowed to play in women's division one so that's kind of like the main rule that we have in our division um, so if you can field a full women's team which Denver has been able to do every single year that, that the women's team has been in existence um, you know so yeah we're we're proud just like the men's team to have stayed in division one and you know even during developmental years when it's hard and we're not winning as many games um, you know, having been around when we have a lot of trophies and also when we don't, um, you know, it's it's important to just kind of ride that wave and, and know that everything's temporary and we're going to continue to rebuild and we will come back stronger and better in the seasons to come. So, yeah, the beauty of the entire club just at the moment is that 
for for our own lofty standards that we wanted to set for ourselves, having not picked up any silverware for a bit, men's and women's, the club has grown. The organisation off the field has skyrocketed. Um, it's almost like the two things couldn't go together in the early years because all the eggs were in one basket. But, I mean, we've got some money in the bank now and stuff like that, whereas it used to be we had... We had plenty of trophies, but we, <laughs> we never had any money, and uh, and everything was just. Now it feels like we've actually got a we've got a real good club going. So now we want to get some silverware back in the trophy in the trophy cabinet. So speaking about money and having money in the bank, how hard is it to get sponsors to support an Aussie Rules Club over there? Tara. Hey, Tara. Yeah. Um. I don't. It's tricky, I think, across the board. Um, it's just tricky across the board, I think, with everybody because, um, you know, again, it's an obscure sport. And so trying to get sponsors is always difficult for any club. Um, I think we have a set of a couple of sponsors that are intra-club sponsors, which we really appreciate. So those are um, spouses or friends of the people of the Denver Bulldogs that contribute money every year. So that's always been super beneficial to have that. Um, one of our hugely successful sponsors is Courtney Mann, who does um, real estate. So we get those type of sponsors every year, or we try to get pubs. But again, it's, it's a tricky business across the United States, just because people are like, what the hell is the sport? We don't know how we want to like contribute to it or why we'd want to contribute to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tricky for sure. Right. Usually the sponsors are um, expat Aussies of some sort, it seems like, you know, like um, Bruce Durrell was another one who was in real estate for a long time. Uh, usually somehow already connected to the club. But, yeah, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to say to someone, give us some money, we'll put your name on our T-shirts, and literally a 1,000 people will see that T-shirt. So, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This year, actually, we have a much um, more strategic marketing plan. And, um, you know, we've put together some different packages and stuff to present to sponsors. Um, and, you know, we're kind of reaching outside of the club because obviously it's not not super sustainable to rely solely on the, the members of our club to financially support us. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of events throughout the year. We do fundraising. We sell our merchandise, um, you know, so... Um, we have hats and t-shirts and, you know, jumpers and hoodies and stickers, you know, kind of you name it. We're doing everything that we can to um, sort of promote our brand of footy um, and the Bulldogs. So, but yeah, sponsors has always been a tough one for us. So we're always looking for more. So if you guys know of anyone, <laughs> send them our way. <laughs> no, I think um, problem skating sponsors is a universal thing. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like. When we're competing with, you know, 30 other clubs around us and whatnot, it's, it is hard to gain <laughs> sponsors. Um, hey, Ruth, do you want to just, um, sorry, cut you off. do you want to jump to the third question in our next section? Do them two, we'll jump back to the other two afterwards. Yeah. So okay. yeah. Rolls in. Yep. So Anna and Tara, are, you are the co-VPs of women's operations. Um, so besides trying to gain sponsors, what else does that job entail and, and how did you guys end up in that role? Um, yeah, well, I've been around, you know, since I guess the beginning of the women's team. So since 2007 um, and 
uh, I just, I just love the club. I love footy. Um, I, I tore my ACL in 2009. Um, and so I took a couple of years off to kind of rehab and heal before I wanted to come back. And, uh, those years away from footy were awful. And I realized like how important the club was, you know, just in my life in general, um, you know, as an athlete and also just as a person, you know, there's a lot of friendships that are made. So, um, I've known kind of since the beginning that I've wanted to be involved in footy for as long as I possibly can. Um, and even if that means I can't play, you know, my body will give out eventually, but, um, there's just so many other things that need to happen in order to make this organization run. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to mention that the, the reason we're co-VPs is because managing one full team um, is just a really massive task. And so it's really important that we lean on each other to kind of work to our strengths. Um, you know, so I guess in a long roundabout way to answer your question, um, you know, Tara does manage like basically our entire social media. She's um, on the marketing team and she does a lot of recruiting. Um, she does a ton of administrative work. She's, she's in that um, arena professionally. So she's just really fast and amazing at it. Um, you know, we create a lot of spreadsheets and surveys. There's a lot of information to track, um, you know, and we also have like a, a WhatsApp uh, chat thread that is very highly active for the women and men. Um, and that's just kind of a way that we maintain contact with our teammates on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so, you know, we're almost like moderators of the chat and, you know, we just disperse information um, to all the women just to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a thousand things that we do otherwise, but, but um, you know, everything from assigning someone to make sure that the gear is at training every week, um, you know, making sure that our jumpers are, are washed between uh, games. Um, Tara, I don't know if you want to throw in some other things, but it's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Um, yeah. I think one of our biggest things that Anna didn't mention is just representing the women's side um, in our board. Um, that's what Anna and I do is just make sure we have the women good voice um, heard across the entire club. Yeah, so you said before um, that you'd given yourself the title of lead recruiter. Uh, don't worry about feeling better. Myself and Rifty have given ourselves, you know, obviously president and vice president, but also both of us head of social media, head of marketing, <laughs> Uh, what else we riffed you? I think we've got a few other titles somewhere. Oh, just amazing content creators. Um, you know, just kings yeah, of the club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't believe us when we said that we we're going to be coaching captain this year. So, yeah. but um, we we decided uh, we were going to take over, run it more as a dictatorship. But we got outvoted. So, <laughs> so um, you just said yeah head of social media and marketing. How did you end up in them roles? Uh, go ahead, Tara. Um, sorry, my computer kind of clipped out there. I think I got what you said. Uh, so with those, with those roles, a type of roles and how do you get involved with them and how I got involved is I just saw a gap that we needed to fill. Um, you know, like the men's and our, our social media on the men's side um, for our club was kind of abysmal. Um, I'm a huge proponent of getting getting things done. So if I see a gap in something, I'm going to go in and I'm going to fill it, uh, which is kind of what I did with social media. I just saw that we needed to promote ourselves more. There wasn't anything getting posted. The pictures for the club, um, I'm very positive on the team to try to, you know, 
boost morale and things like that. And so I saw a gap and I just filled it. And I always tell every like lady on the team or even the guys, if you see something, go and do it. Like if you want to tackle something, just do it. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. That's how I live life usually. So I usually just put those things on and tackled it. And here we are today. With the um, social media thing, myself and Riftia take care of our social media um, due to Rifty's not very good knowledge of Instagram. I'm normally the one that deals with that. And I do follow the Denver, uh, the Denver Bulldogs on Instagram. And you are very active and it's you know, good to see, especially during these times. So, and uh, we will, you know, where can they go to follow you guys while we're talking about it? Yeah, there's several places to go to follow us. So we have our website, which is the DenverBulldogs.com. We're on Facebook, which is uh, Denver Bulldogs Australian Rules Football Club. We're on Instagram, which is Denver uh, Bulldogs Footy. We're on LinkedIn. Um, and we're on Twitter as well, Denver underscore Bulldogs. So we've got the whole gambit of social media that you guys can follow. Um, not lacking at all. Very <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously share all those uh, when we put this video up, but uh, Bernie, not to sort of make you feel left out for a while there, but uh, you are the coach. And so how did you end up becoming the coach and how long have you coached for? Wow. That is a funny loaded question during these COVID-19 <laughs> times. Uh, I, you know, Anna, I couldn't help but chuckle mentioned uh, her body will give out eventually. And mine is in the middle of its giving out phase. Um, I'm 43. <laughs> I've played for forever and I've been around, uh, you know, the club the whole time and I've never really put my hand up to do too, too much at all. Um, I believe the next thing I can do for this club is uh, be the men's DB1 coach. I want to give it a crack of, uh, in, in 03, um, we had a, a bit of a split and, and the coach quit and amid some turmoil and, and I was filling coach for um, for a tournament or two, and we won the nationals and we kept that whole run alive. Um, but really, I stepped in and just followed what he was doing, and um, you know, so I had this like a quarter of a year as the coach, <laughs> captain coach. I put myself at full forward in the granny and kicked a few goals and got myself <laughs> a best on ground medal. So you know, I want to actually, I want to actually try my hand at it now <laughs> I don't think anyone in our club really knows that I outside of the board that I that I was probably interested in even being the coach it's something that was about to be announced or finalized there was myself and um another guy named Fluff who had said he was interested and myself and and Jezra O'Connell the uh, vice president um we me, Fluff, and Jezza were going to sit down and, and figure out what that was going to look like. Um, and the lockdown happened, or as a week before it happened, we said, ah, let's just wait and see what happens with this virus. And my problem is, one of my problems is, is that uh, my wife is, she's got a, she's got a blood disorder that makes her in a pretty high risk category. So maybe even once everyone else gets back to playing footy, I might still be a little timid to get out there and 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 get amongst it so it's all in the air right now um and we kind of just have to wait until <sighs> we'll see what happens you know a vaccine would help for sure but um it might not be my year after all i don't know we'll have to we'll have to wait and see 
yeah, unfortunately, you know, it seems to be a bit like that all around the world is that no one can really put a finger on what may happen, you know, in you know, three days time, you know, let alone six months time. So um, I'm going to ask my favorite question that I like to ask the social side of the footy club. What do you guys do, you know, function wise or just you know, in general for the social side? Uh, yeah, we have a lot of events at pubs. Um, usually every year we have a sponsor pub, you know, that we frequent regularly after games and tournaments and even sometimes like after training on a Wednesday night. Um, we do barbecues and get togethers, you know, we'll have like watch parties if somebody hosts a party and we'll all get together and watch some footy. Um, obviously I'm talking about things we've done up until this point. Um, we're, we're quite limited um, to virtual get togethers at this time. So uh, but we've definitely been capitalizing on Zoom and making the most of that. So we have uh, Zoom happy hours, and we even had, like, our club season kickoff via Zoom. We've been doing workouts, and we've actually started doing our regular training sessions via Zoom. So, um, yeah, what other social things do we do, guys? All kinds of fun stuff. Over the years, um, the biggest fundraiser and social event was generally the AFL Grand Final Watch Party. Uh, over here the game would start at about 9, 9.30 at night and you know, and end up about 2pm just when they're wanting to kick us all out of the pub um, so it's a big night for all, all the footy clubs over here um, and uh, the, the, the footy trips themselves are obviously being all away trips basically those are, those are massive social events <laughs> and um, the, for, for the longest time this is a fairly unique Denver thing, I think, Denver Bulldogs thing. We, um, I don't know who started the idea, but obviously we wanted our awards night and we wanted our um, player review night, you know, silly skits or Mad Monday or whatever you want to call it. So they combined the two, called it the Pratt night. It was the player review and presentation night. And it went well for a lot of years. Um, a lot of funny skits, a lot of appalled people and stuff like that. Mixed in with the award <laughs> for the night. And um, as the club grew, we made a pretty wise decision. I think it was just last year. We we're separated out. We'll have the awards night, which can get pretty pissy as it is. You know, uh, you know, you know what I mean by pissy. And um, have, we'll keep the silly skits, play, you know, Mad Monday thing. We'll keep it separate because um, we couldn't. It was getting to the point where it was tough to invite uh, family along to the awards night. And not have them be offended by some of the skits that were going on. So uh, that's always a pretty big uh, social evening for the dogs too. Could you imagine uh, having presentation night and Mad Monday together, Rifty? Jesus, not, not a chance. Not Just a let, chance. let your imagination go there. Yeah, <laughs> not, not yeah. a chance it would happen. Oh. Yeah. I, I had to have my kids with me uh, early on a, a silly Saturday recently, and uh, yeah, I had to. You know, yes. get them out of there. You know, once the boys had got a you know, couple couple beers deep, I uh, yep, all right, time to go, boys. It's time to yep. get out of here. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You guys have obviously had quite a bit of success at your club, and um, so we'll sort of go through all three of you and just ask, you know, what has been the real favourite, like biggest standout moment. I know, obviously, when you you win in six in a row, and 
you know, eight championships. What What's the one, though, that stands above all others? Why don't you girls go first? Um, I think for me, uh, winning nationals in 2015 with my first rookie year was amazing. Um, that was just the highlight. I've, I come from a soccer background and I've been playing competitive soccer, um, you know, since I was four years old and competitive softball even since I was seven. And so just coming into a club and a team that was so like so much camaraderie, so much love for the game, um, a sport that was totally unique and just like amazing to play. Um, and then going out my rookie year and being able to win nationals um, and getting the medal and then celebrating with the club after, I think that was my top notch thing that I just, I always look back on and remember fondly. Nice. Yeah. Um it's there's a lot of memories since 2007 <laughs> so um I'm trying to dig through some of the archives here but um I would say that I guess for me personally one of my highlights was um I, I made the women's national team in 2009 um and then again in 2010 um unfortunately I tore my ACL about a month before our trip to Canada in 2010 so um but in 2009 I was able to travel to Australia um and we played in Sydney, Cairns, and Melbourne, and um, man, I think I learned more about footy in about eight days than I had, you know, playing for four years. Um, you know, we played in a lot of the local teams, and um, I think uh, we played this game in Bendigo, and uh, there were about a thousand people that showed up, like just like community members um, who were out to support and watch uh, the Australians uh, basically hand it to us. So. Um, I've never been tackled that hard in my life and uh, I got tackled really close to the sideline and this just the crowd erupted it was like the coolest thing they had ever seen and I felt like I immediately needed to go and like to the chiropractor <laughs> so that was definitely like a highlight for me of just realizing like I guess how important it was for for me to take that experience and kind of come back to the United States and really like instill that same passion for football that I saw in the women, you know, who were playing back in 2009. So um, it's actually been really amazing to watch the women's league, you know, the AFLW really grow. Um, and obviously we, our challenges sort of mirror some of their challenges just um, along that same platform. So um, yeah, I'd say those were a couple of my highlights. Um, I wasn't actually around for all the six consecutive championships, um, but you know, the, the, the titles speak for themselves and uh, we really did have an amazing crew. And I feel like part of me is always sort of reaching to kind of achieve that again. Um, but, but I know that in due time that will probably come. So we're just, we're focusing on the culture now and uh, the championships will come. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good answer, Anna. Um, I'm looking forward to the future as much as reminiscing myself. Um, it's very hard for me to pick. I was, I mean, I'm just thrilled that I, I couldn't win anything in Australia. I couldn't get anyone. I, I just never won a premiership. I, I just, and then, and then to get these, these Americans and Australians to, uh, to get it together over here. Um, in 07, I kicked a goal that we only kicked three for the game. And I kicked the one that put us in front against San Diego that had beaten us the year before. And they were the old enemy, you know, that felt good. It was also the year uh, 03, like say, um, we'd had a rift and the the uh, the coach had quit and we patched the team back together and we got back on board and um, 
uh, I put myself a full forward. Well, we wanted to throw a spanner in the works. And so we had this full forward that anyways, I, I kicked, uh, kicked four goals in the first half and Boston had only managed, only, only managed one for the whole game. We, we ended up winning pretty easy, but that felt good to get all that pressure off my chest to, to perform like we had the year before. But I'm going to mention uh, in 04, this is I'm, I'm team first. Those were personal memories. But in 04, we, we, um, we had a team that uh, was down and we'd won those two in a row. And generally, that's about all anyone can scrape together. And um, we went out to uh, nationals with, um, we had three players on the bench. Numbers were down across the board, but we had, uh, we had, uh, we're supposed to have nine. We had five, we had seven Aussies. And they were all on the field at all times. So there was no way we could break the rules. And it was funny. It was, we, we thought it was kind of all over for us. And with five weeks to go, uh, Ren was coaching. We all got together and we said, well, what are we going to do? Are we just going to be like everyone else and just fade off the scene and, and drop down a division or, you know, not try? We're we just going to go out there and pretend like we've, we've still got this great team and just go balls to the wall. And we did. And it was, it was ugly. It was horrible. It was bad footy. And uh, we ended up beating New York in the, in the grand final. Um, it, was, it was horrible to watch, but it was like, it was like, it was a big turning point in the club in those early days where we said, just because we're down for the year doesn't mean we can't just step it up just before nationals and give it everything we got. And, um, and you know, we, we, we got it done with, with less than nine Aussies. And so we couldn't afford any injuries or anything. And uh, it was good. It was um, the 04 flag is pretty big, pretty happy memory for me. We um, lost that dog there for a bit. Uh, so <laughs> you mentioned that, uh, Anna, that you'd been over to Australia and, and Benny obviously being from Australia. Um, have you all adopted different AFL teams to support or who do you guys uh, yeah, support in the AFL or AFLW? I mean, I'm just a fan of the Western Bulldogs. Um, I follow them on social media and uh, uh, I really, yeah, me personally, I love support. Oh. Um, I, yeah, I just really enjoy watching sort of the development. Um, I follow several of the, the uh, AFLW uh, Bulldogs players as well. Um, when I was in Australia, I got to see a Hawthorne game again. I'm sorry, I don't remember who they played, but I got to see a real game at the MCG, and that was pretty amazing. Um, just breathtaking walking out onto that field and realizing, like, just the the sheer size. And, yeah, just it really – it took my breath away. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Frio fan. Um, I checked out the face. You back yeah I, I i follow the frio dockers unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> we actually um have a old freeman player that was a past player at our club uh scott yeah. used to play freeman used to play at south waverley sandown back in the day so it's a little yeah. bit of a connection to freeman who'd you say scott chisholm yeah scott chisholm, chisholm. Yep. yeah 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 yep yep God, their early numbers were awful <laughs> <laughs> they're that awful though that they're good now yeah retro yeah. I, um, so I, I followed South Fremantle in the waffle 
And, you know, I didn't mind the Eagles. I mean, there was a lot of South Fremantle players on the Eagles. And, and I kind of always liked Carlton for some odd reason. And then, no, that's uh, all right. That's all right. You can yeah. love Carlton. <laughs> well, and then, uh, well, when the Blues won that flag, they, they went on, uh, on a, they'd won so many consecutive games in a row. It was the Dockers that ended it. And I was at Subi Oval. And I, and I was with my family and uh, their Harbour Masters. And I couldn't help. I found myself screaming for the Dockers instead of the Blues that day. And that was kind of it. It was all over. You made the right decision, Rifty. <laughs> <laughs> what have they done since? <laughs> well, about the same as Carlton, mate. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Tara? Who do you, go, who do you follow in the footy, in the AFL? Uh, I uh, also follow the West. Dogs being a bulldog myself, but I really love the women's team on the Western Bulldogs. We have Danny Marshall now playing um, for the women there um, on the Western Bulldogs, so it's incredible to see a U.S. player that's made it to the big league. Um, so I love supporting her and uh, yeah, all the all the doggy fans up there. Yeah, it seems to be a thing where we've noticed around the world that if people are getting involved in footy, they tend to gravitate to the colours and the name of the team they're playing for in their country. Um, all right, what's, uh, Who's your team, Ed? Pardon? Who's my team? Yeah. The Mighty Bombers. <laughs> if I could... Uh, yeah, it's my... I record this in my little bar area. We like to call the kennel. Yeah. There's a lot of Essendon memorabilia. I'm actually doing this on my Essendon table, tennis table, in head of my front of my Essendon dartboard. So it's a very Essendon heavy uh, area. I know that yeah. Rifty doesn't enjoy coming in here very often. And we are we are friends, d- in d- despite of the fact he is a mad Essendon supporter, <laughs> but we still maintain. You know. uh, yeah, we got we've been flooded with fucking Eagle supporters for some odd reason. At the <laughs> and... Oh, they won a flag flag two years ago. So, oh, God. usually it happens. All right, let's uh, let's throw some of your teammates under the bus. I reckon, Rifty. Yes. Yeah, it's but, time um, for some funny stuff. <laughs> All right. So we'll go around the room. We'll start with Tara first, then we'll go to Anna and then Benny. Which player at the club would make the best reality TV star and why? Um, I, I think it might be the same or one screen for all of us. Is, uh, we have a player named Phil Camping. I think he'd probably make the best reality. He's just one of the craziest players on our team. A ladies' man, or well, tries to be a ladies' man, we should say, and uh, he's just always up to some some kind of antics. Yeah, I'd have to agree 100%. I was wondering who we would all say, but I think the vote might be unanimous. Um, and if he listens to this podcast, he's going to get a real big kick out of it, and it's probably going to be a story for weeks on end. So, <laughs> well, well, I've got, got a different answer for you because uh, one thing on I promised I'd lay off him for the for the month. But uh, there is there is a bunch of guys now. Now I'm older and uh, and uh, I don't get out on the squirt at all anymore. But uh, I, so I don't know these guys real well. But we last year we or last few years we've had these guys come over and they're a bunch of Aussies and they're young and single and they live up in Boulder and they call and and they're. They call themselves the jet skis, and they want to. They, I think they want their color. They want to make their own Colorado Cup team from Boulder called the Jet Skis, and I don't know what the what that means, but um, they're the they're now the young pissheads at the club, and they. I don't know if they all live together, 
but they certainly end up sending a lot of photos around from nights out. And I reckon if you put all four of them in a house with a with cameras everywhere, that would be the best. Uh, I'm not sure who would air it, but it would be the best um, reality TV show. That the, real, the Real World <laughs> Colorado or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jersey Shore. Yeah, yeah. the real world Boulder. Yeah, Boulder. Yeah, okay. yeah. It would, that's that would be my pick. All right. So another sort of funny one. If you could pick any other person from your club to be for a day, who would you choose and why? <laughs> I didn't see this question. I just read it. <laughs> yeah, we um yesterday we were discussing about changing some of the questions for our own players just to sort of mix it up a little bit so we yeah. figured we'd uh, change it up for you guys and put you on the spot um, I think that's a tough one guys I'd like to be I guess one of the men's players for a day just to see uh, just to be on their chats and stuff and uh, I'm, I'm kind of a cheeky person and I like to I like swear a lot I like dirty jokes and things like that <laughs> being on the men's team to be able to experience all the shenanigans that go on over the time can't pick one person yeah. I join the boys up in uh, Boulder there and the reality show. <laughs> There's a few girls that <laughs> yeah, probably probably handle being on our chat room, and uh, they would they would probably enjoy it. But there'd be plenty who would be appalled. <clears throat> but uh, I was I was thinking I'd like to be Tom Crammery for a day. I just want to know what it feels like to, to think that highly of yourself with absolutely no humility at all and believe. <laughs> his, uh, his nickname oh, is Cam, and that'll tell you all you need to know. <laughs> Sorry, what was his nickname? Fig jam. Fig jam. Fig jam. Okay. <laughs> yep. Oh, good answers. Um, I'd say I would actually want to be um, uh, we had a longtime women's coach, Bruce Durrell. Um, man, just I have so much respect for that guy and his ability to take a motley crew and turn it into championships was pretty amazing. And you know, I've been playing for this long, and you'd think I'd <laughs> know a little bit more about you know, passages of play and how to coach my fellow teammates. But um, just to get inside of that guy's brain and kind of watch how things operate and, you know, the decisions that he would make from the sideline, I think that would be, it feels like it would be like a superpower. So yeah, I'd love to be Bruce Durrell for a hot minute. <laughs> awesome. Uh, a bit different about, you know, trying to get inside the head of somebody than the one from uh, St. Delusa Rifty. Yeah, yeah. She's a- <laughs> Um, all right. So, what's the funniest thing you have seen while you guys have been playing the game? Go ahead, girls. Um, I think, uh, well, one of the funniest things for me is I tend to break something every single season that I've played um, without a, <laughs> like, I don't even happen. It's usually the most ridiculous way ever, but yeah, I've injured myself every single season I've played. Um, outside that probably um, every time our swimming go on the field and we either get a broken nose or a bloody nose and shoving tampons up our nose, um, it always freaks the guys out. That's always funny to uh, see the guys' reactions when we're uh, run off the sidelines, not off the field, because we still want to play and we shove tampons up our nose real quick and then get back on the field. 
Good one, Tara. I'd say that um, back when I first started playing, um, I was there was this Louisville, Kentucky tournament. I remember nationals. Um, and you know, we hadn't even played our first game yet, but we were watching one of the men's games. And, uh, as Benny mentioned, it was just kind of a dust storm, you know, somebody would run past you and there'd be dirt in the air floating around for a good 30 seconds. So, um, we're watching the guys play and uh, rich man, <laughs> which I kind of just was like, who is this character? Like he was a very interesting person to me when I first started, you know, when I was first introduced to footy. And he's running out around out there on the field, just crushing skulls left and right. And uh, he comes off the field and he chugs about a half a jar of pickle juice. <laughs> and then someone on the sidelines had a cigarette and he took a couple drags off the cigarette. And then he ran back into the game and just proceeded to continue crushing skulls. And I was in awe and I didn't know what I had gotten myself into, but I knew that in a weird way, I kind of liked it. And I was like, I think these are my people. So that was probably one of the funniest things I've seen. And, you know, that I can actually share here without getting people in trouble. <laughs> that definitely sounds like my type of people too, Rifty. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. A, I don't know if you'd chug the pickle juice before the cigarette. I think it'd be a chug a beer and then take the cigarette. And it, then... No, I'm going to rephrase. It would have been chug a beer. Then have a drag of a cigarette six months to go. Yeah, remember, Rifty, I'm a six months yeah, clean yeah. of smoking, but yeah, yeah, back in the day, it would have been a yeah, skull of beer, punch down a cigarette, and get back out there and do, do it. <laughs> Richie's cigarette might not have all been tobacco either at that point. But uh, uh, yeah. well, you, are, you are in Denver, so. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't legal in 07. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> uh, So. I was thinking about this all, you know, the last few days. Um, I got a million of them that were not on the field playing footy, but uh, and they're not all PC, of course. But uh, on, on the field, <laughs> it's it's always the um, the characters, you know. The, and there was one guy we called Dave Standstill. Well, his name was Dave, and his nickname was Standstill. And he was American, and uh, he he for whatever reason. He did. He did have one pretty big brace that he wore on his on his knee, and um, it was pretty hard plastic and stuff. It was almost like he probably shouldn't have been allowed to wear it, you know. Um, but it, it stopped his knee from bending back the wrong way or whatever. But he he um, I don't know how he found our club or got into footy, but he couldn't kick on the run. He just couldn't quite ever get that to flow properly. So he would he would be at a full sprint with the ball, and he would have to stop and kick the footy. So his nickname was Standstill. <laughs> and uh, it was, and when he did, he, he played good. He did it in games and stuff, but it was, it was just one of the more bizarre things you've ever seen whilst, whilst playing a competitive game of footy. The guy would be at a, at a full sprint for him, which was okay. And, but just have, just as he kicked it, he had to completely come to a complete stop and then kick it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting kicking style. Uh... I'm sure there's a few few guys at our club that probably need to come to a complete stop before they they attempt their kicks. Some of them, yeah, they might yeah. kick it a bit straighter. But um, <laughs> oh, it's been great talking to you guys, and obviously you're all uh, pretty active on your socials. So we'll make sure that this all gets shared around, and uh, we share all your socials and stuff. Um, and you know we can see all the stuff you guys are doing on your socials to stay involved with the club and keep you guys engaged. And um, yes, thanks again. Is there anything else you want to say, Ed Dog, before we wrap it up? No, I just want to thank the three of you for 
jumping on and having a chat with us. We do appreciate you guys taking time out of your Saturday evening. Um, once we able to get back into our rooms and get our hands on some of our gear, I'll uh, organise with Tara to send you guys across to one of our jumpers or a polo shirt or something that we've got handy to get to you for you know, to say thank you and also because they're good colours. Yeah, well, thank you all so much. It's really cool to um, just get a little more traction on the on you know educating people that there is such a huge league here in the United States. Um, so yeah, if you're ever here and uh, you want to hit us up, we'd be more than happy to get you plugged in with the community here. So um, I think culturally you'll find it very similar. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate uh, being and you guys taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, if there's ever any um, gun footy players looking to come over here for a year, we'll, we'll hook them up with uh, employment and, uh, and do our best to get them some, uh, entertain them and all that, and they can come have a kick and, um, you know, maybe we can send some Yanks down your way as well. Yeah, no, if, if any of you are ever over in Australia, you can uh, always come down to Edinburgh Reserve for a kick, but um, I think if any of our guys ended up over in Denver, it'd probably be for other reasons and they might be... Uh, <laughs> Stuck on the couch after a few uh, legal um, legal joints. Uh, yeah, I don't think you'd get too many able to get out there and play footy if they, they got over to Denver. But yeah. We'd get them out. We'd get them out. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Uh, enjoy your evening. And yeah, we might uh, catch up with you in the end of your season if you do get to have one uh, this, this season. And uh, yeah, see how you guys went. And... Uh, Hopefully you can get back to dominating and, and winning those championships again. Cheers, fellas. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much, thanks you guys. Great. Thank you. Uh, thanks again to Ben, Anna and Tara for joining us from the Denver Bulldogs. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Uh, where can everyone else go to find out more about um, the Denver Bulldogs? Well, if you are... Watching this on Facebook, you can head across to Denver Bulldogs Australian Rules Football on Facebook. On Instagram, they're Denver Bulldogs Footy. On Twitter, at Denver underscore Bulldogs. Or you can head the old-fashioned way to their website, denverbulldogs.com. And while I've got you, mate, so Tara actually is part of a podcast on uh, US Footy News called Outside 50. So if you want to uh, you know, give that a search... On your iTunes, once you finish searching for the Cobra Cast, then I highly recommend it. It's actually a very good show and quite insightful. Yeah, so once you've hit subscribe on Cobra Cast, uh, go search, out, what was it, Outside 50? And Outside hit... 50, mate, on US Footy News. Yeah, US Footy News. So also, not even just on, um, on iTunes, head to their Facebook, head to the US AFL Facebook page to find out more about footy in America in general, mate. Yeah, lovely. And... Um... See you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number.